This is Fireproof Your Retirement with Michael J. Markey, Jr. Fireproof Your Retirement is 30 minutes of real questions, real concepts, and real answers. Michael's passion is to teach listeners the same thing he's taught clients and prospects, how to take control of their money. It's been this philosophy which has garnished Michael and his firm Legacy Financial Network national attention. In 2010, AM Best featured them as one of the top 10 most innovative agencies in the country. In 2014, Insurance Newsnet magazine featured Michael as a local celebrity and life health pro, named him hero of the insurance industry. Michael's even been given the Moving America Forward Award by William Shatner. Now here's your host, Michael J. Markey Jr. All right, and welcome back, everyone. I want to thank the new listeners out there at uh, 1340 AM News Talk Radio. Pleasure to have you guys with us. Really excited as we've grown here. Um, of course, up there in Ludington, 98.7 WLDN, and right here in Grand Rapids, the station that gave us our start. So very thankful. Sometimes I scratch my head and wonder why they took the chance on us. But so very fortunate and happy uh, for WFUR 102.9 FM. So I am your host, Michael Markey. You've tuned into um, Fireproof Your Retirement. With me today, as he is each and every week, we've got behind the scenes producer Mitch doing a fantastic job. Producer Mitch, in fact, just recently married. So congratulations to you. And new this week, we've been kind of teasing this now for a while. But new this week, I've got my wife here in the studio, Vanessa Markey. Why don't you go ahead and say hi? Hi. <laughs> Not necessarily very pleased that she's been dragged into this um, format, but we're changing the show. We're changing the show because one of the things that we've been getting feedback on and we've been studying is there's a lot of financial radio shows out there. They're generally dominated by male hosts. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, not saying it's a good thing, but here's what's interesting is sometimes we get questions that are gender specific. And I've heard some of these male hosts go, well, I've been married long enough that I'm pretty sure I know what my wife would say. Come on. If you've been married for more than about 13 minutes, you should know not to say I know what my wife would say. At least I know. The only time I absolutely know what my wife would say would be um, this answer, which is always no. So <clears throat> that being said, format's changing a little bit. Um, I want to remind you guys, though, that our goal, our passion, our hope is to, in the end, is to change our listeners' lives. We want to change your life by changing the way you look at money. Because money does not have meaning. If money had meaning, people on their deathbed, or shortly before, they would share with family, friends, loved ones, kids, how fulfilled their life had been by how large their investments had grown to. But nobody says that, do they? Maybe if you think it, but even they are smart enough not to say it. So money doesn't have meaning, it does have purpose. And its purpose is to give or to spend. That's the only two things you'll ever do with a dollar. Give it or spend it, that's it. So on that thread, giving and spending, we're going to talk about college spending. This is one of those topics we get a lot. I get asked a lot of questions um, from couples, grandparents, moms, and dads. Should I pay for college? How do I pay for college? How much do I have to pay for college? And although there's a gluttony of resources out there on the internet, it still seems to be one of those, we just don't know what direction to go into. So I think we'll start with that question. Should I pay for my kid's college? And why don't we go ahead and let you take this one first? Well, in, in my opinion, and being somebody who had to pay for their own college, and by pay for it, I mean take out loans and things like that, I personally think that students value their education more if they're the ones fronting the money, putting up the dime for it, or knowing that they have those loans afterwards. Because 
I'm I'm one of five kids and my parents had their own business. So they were fortunate enough and worked hard enough to pay for us to go to private school when we were, you know, in grade school. And then after that, five kids sending them to college, depending on where they go, you know, that's a big, big ticket item to have to do. Um, my sister and I worked really hard. We went to the same school. Um, we valued our education. My older brothers were for, or my older brother and two younger brothers were fortunate enough to be athletic, so they got scholarships. But um, there were kids that I went to school with who, their parents paid for everything. They paid for their education, paid for their housing, even gave them money on a monthly basis to do stuff with, and they would choose to go out on a Wednesday night until 2 a.m to the bar and then you know it was 50 50 whether they'd be in class and if they were in class um they probably didn't retain much of what they what they were being taught because they were just mentally not present so now are you saying that i mean i know one thing that people share with me all the time is that my child isn't one of those kids well um, you would be surprised at what your child, who you don't think is one of those kids, would do. I mean, my parents never thought that I'd go out and party and have a good time, but I was in college. I did it sporadically on the weekend. So your kids change when they're out of the nest. And we're not talking about one of the public institutions. We're talking about a very small, let's not name it, no, but small little private local colleges that rhymes with mope. Right. <laughs> and they're technically a dry campus, so you wouldn't think that a lot of this partying would be going on, but I can assure you it does. Now, you didn't specifically say it, but then, so you're saying that you and your sister um, then paid for your own college. Yes. Now, how did you do that? I took out, well, my freshman year, I actually worked and paid for it on a monthly basis, which was a pretty big ticket bill. Um, So then sophomore through senior year, I ended up taking out loans for it because I just couldn't work as much as I needed to work, and focus on my studies. Now, one of the things that, and will be the last thing we'll talk about before our first break, obviously some of your friends also took out loans, and you took out a loan, but now that we're 10 years out of college, you've noticed probably that some have aggressively paid off the loans, and others, um, like really ourselves, I don't mind sharing this with our listeners, because of the low interest rates, I'm okay seeing student loan debt, but how... How is that? I mean, these students, these friends of yours, these kids that we've seen, some have student loan debt, some don't, but they left with student loan debt. How has that changed their their lives? Um, I mean, some of them worked really hard before they got married and knew that they were going to have kids and basically took every dime that they made. And when they weren't paying for you know rent or mortgage or whatever, put it towards student loans to get rid of it. But I mean, they work a lot harder. I don't particularly care to pay the amount that I care on a monthly basis towards my student loans. I can think of a million other things that I could spend it on. But at the end of the day, you know, my education was extremely important to me. Well, and and let me jump in there. See, you just said the word that I didn't know that you were going to say, but is what I want to emphasize to everybody. You said there's a million other things that I would like to spend the money on. And the thing that we got to remember is that most people aren't good with money. Um, it's just not natural. The first thing for somebody to say isn't there's a bunch of other things I'd like to save that money for. There's a bunch of other things I'd like to invest that money in. It's It would be a lot more fun to spend it on something. It'd be a lot more fun not to be driving around a 12-year-old car. It's a good car. We don't have a payment on it, but these student loans, in my opinion, I want to see if you agree with me, but student loans, in my opinion, what happens is you get these graduates and now all of a sudden they can't go 
you know, oh no, they can't go get a brand new BMW. They have to get a six-year-old car right. that's got a couple miles on it and a couple dings on it. They have to buy a starter home. Ooh, a starter home. And they can't go to Art Van and get a whole house worth of furniture. They might actually have to get some used hand-me-down furniture to start their marriage life off. Right. Yeah. So I think there's worse things in life that can happen other than that. And what I've seen with student loans is that it really makes people slow down on their progression of materialistic buying uh, and buying all these fun things, the vacations and uh, bigger cars, ATVs, ski-doos, whatever it may be. Well, and I also think it makes you budget a little bit. I mean, because when I first got out of college, I I got out of college in 2009, and we all know how job prospecting was in 2009. I mean, I was working at a retail store that high schoolers were working at because that's all I could get. Um, but I had to sit down every single month and say, this is what's coming in. This is what's going out and allocate. I mean, it basically made me, forced me to budget because I had, you know, they sell your loans 50 times before you even have to start paying for it. So I had five or six separate payments going out to all of these different loan institutions because they got split and divvied out. So I had to sit down and mark, it's coming out on this date, it's coming out on this date, and this is what I'm making, and this is when my paycheck's coming in. So I didn't have a choice. I mean, because if I didn't pay attention to that, I'd be getting overdraft fees up the wazoo because of because of how scattered everything is. Sure. So that's a perfect spot to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Mike Markey is full of information, but as you probably already know, he gets so excited to give out that information that he speaks at about 900 words per minute with gusts up to 1,300. Now's your chance to get that information at your own pace. Mike has written a book called Fireproof Your Retirement, which can be found on Amazon. It covers many of the same topics we cover during the show, including income planning, asset allocation, gifting, taxes, and much more. As you know, Mike is all about paying it forward. That is why 100% of the proceeds go to local fire departments. Once again, that's Fireproof Your Retirement by Michael Markey, which can be found on Amazon.com. All right, and welcome back to the second segment here of Fireproof Your Retirement. I am your host, Michael Markey. With me today, as she will be for, um, let's see, the foreseeable future, if I can make that happen. I've got my wife here, Vanessa Markey. Our goal is to start giving you guys, you know, and I don't want to make this a gender thing, but I do think that different genders are going to have a different opinion on this. Wives are going to have a different opinion on some of these answers than do husbands. I'm probably a little bit more... Um, black and white, a little bit more bold with things and a little bit more harsh around the edges. Um, so I'm not saying it always works that way, but I do think it's going to make an interesting dynamic to give two sets of answers as well as um, looking at it from both. I've got more of the nerdy perspective, more of the financial um, training perspective, then you've got the more of the real world. Um, before the break, we were talking about student loans. We were talking about, do you pay for your child's college or not? And right before we left off saying that when you have these loans, that it makes you budget and um, it prevents you from going out right away and going and buying a new Mustang convertible or BMW, whatever it may be, and you actually have to have a starter home. Oh, no. But one of the things that I think, you know, we get this question a lot, should I pay for my kid's college or I don't want my child to start life off with that type of debt. 
You know, and it is a big debt. I would say the average student loans for people going to private college right now is probably close to 100000 if they're paying for it. Yes, I would agree with that, at least now at this yeah. point. And if we looked at public school, it's pretty easy. I know if we look at an average just using, um, you know, like Google Analytics, they say about the average is 25000 But I'm going to say if a student passes or um, progresses through and actually finishes, it's probably closer to 40000 for a public university from what I've seen. Yeah, I, I believe that's right. I think public university tuition is pretty affordable at this point, mm-hmm. but going forward it may or may not be. Well, and I, I say it like that, that they've got to finish because it's about a third to two thirds of the, you know, depending on what research you look at, a big, big chunk though of kids who go in don't finish. Um, now, I don't think that this idea of having student loan when you graduate is as big of a um, negative as what people seem to think it is. And part of that reason, I think, is because a lot of you listeners right now, you graduated from college and you had very little debt, or maybe your parents helped, or maybe you got scholarships, but college costs were significantly less if we go prior to the 1990s. We hit the 90s, the government, and I'm not making political statements here, the government steps in, they create these federally subsidized loans. And the idea was that if we make a extra option, that we needed just one more option for student loans so that kids could have a more affordable choice. It sounds a lot like healthcare, doesn't it? And as we made the money easier to get, guess what happened? A lot of pe- more people wanted to go to school. And as more people wanted to go to school and there was more money to get, and it was easier to get, prices went up. Imagine that. But that being said, let's look at student loans. Let's say that you graduate. You graduate in 2009. You talked about Uh, working retail because that's all that was available. If your income is low enough, one of the things that they have now is forbearance. Um, I know people aren't, uh, maybe everyone's not familiar with forbearance, but forbearance essentially means this. If your income's too low to where you essentially can't buy meat and cheese even, they will allow you to continue to defer your social social security. Uh, They will allow you to continue to defer your student loan payments. Now there's good and bad to that. The good is that you can eat meat and cheese. The bad is that you're continuing to accrue interest then. So I want to make it clear that this debt isn't always debilitating. Um, Now, another question that we get here sometimes is, all right, so I've been saving this money for my child's college, um, and now you're telling me not to do it. Do I just give it to him as a gift? What do I do with it? Um, I mean, you can do a couple of different things. There's the biggest one I can think of, and I had to unfortunately move home after college because, again, the economy was in the tank. And I mean, my parents couldn't even afford to hire me to work for them so that I could at least have some money. Um, Maybe they didn't want to hire you because you're a millennial. That's not true because I work for them now. So (laughs) anyways, um, I think, I mean, if you don't move home, okay, so then you're in an apartment. You're throwing money at an apartment. You have to pay rent. I would say buying a house would have been more beneficial because whether you have a house payment or a rent payment, it's going to probably be right around the same thing. House payment might even be less if you have a significant down payment. So then you have the equity in a home and you have something to your name that if, heaven forbid, you need to take equity out of something, you have a, a substantial piece of property that you can use then. It's not just you're sitting in my, you know, your apartment and you have a medical issue or your car goes down the tubes or whatever, you have a physical piece of property then. Right. So, the, I mean, I think that's a good idea in a, in a way that a little bit differently than what we've taught folks in the past. One of the things we've taught both on this show and in person to people that we're meeting with is instead of paying for college, take that 20000 30000 and put that against the mortgage. 
So your child goes, and you know, you got to do this on the back end. What I mean by that is don't give them the money before they buy the house. Because if you give them the money before they buy the house, let's say they get approved for a $150,000 mortgage with, I don't know, 30 grand down, 20 grand down. If you give them an extra 20 or 30,000, here's what happens. They buy a $170,000 house. The realtor is going to do a good job telling, because it becomes emotional. Well, don't you really want the house with the bigger kitchen? Of course you do. But we want to make this be financially um, helpful, which means don't buy a bigger house. Take that same $150,000 house you're going to buy. They put the money down and then their very first payment, what you do is say, you know, son, daughter, who's your mortgage? Then they look at you and go, what? Mom, dad, that's none of your business. Well, yeah, it is because I'm going to make your first payment. And you can give, um, so if you're married, um, you can give your child both, um, I guess it doesn't really matter if you're married. I meant if they were married, you can give them about 14000 both to, to child and child spouse. So that's about, you know, almost 30 grand. So let's say you've got 50 grand saved up for college. You don't do that. They buy a $150,000 house. Well, put 20, 25,000 down on their house on their first payment. Go, you know, son, I don't want you to pay, make this payment. I'm going to make a payment and I'm going to make this big, you know, $20,000 payment. So the majority of that goes to principal. And then what I think has been cool because I've seen this happen now, then they go and go spend that $1,000 you normally pay or $1,200. It's a typical mortgage payment. Go spend that. And I mean, how many times have we seen younger folks, they spend all this time courting each other and kind of living a little bit in la la land, but then they get married, they've got two sets of student loans, they got the mortgage and car payment. And then what happens? Do they spend any time focusing on them? No, they don't. In fact, they probably, the honeymoon stage is over and their real world has kicked in and they're probably facing a little bit of resentment if money is tight and it's hard to make payments and stuff and then they don't see each other and they work a ton and it just kind of snowballs. So it goes back to what we said earlier. I mean, why I'm trying to, why we're trying to teach people about money because money doesn't have meaning. And yet something with so little meaning tears people apart. It ruins marriages sometimes. It breaks up friendships, even, um, you know, kinships, brothers, sisters, sisters, sisters. I mean, how many times have we heard stories where that's affected somebody? Um, so how cool is that though? All of a sudden now you can take that, have them take that mortgage payment and you know, maybe they go to, I mean, for $1,200, could you do a long weekend in Chicago? Yeah. If you plan it right. Traverse city, Detroit, you mm -hmm. go to, we went to a Tigers game earlier this year. It didn't cost anywhere near that. No, actually it didn't. So in, you know, this is a great thing. Now, some of you guys are listening right now going, I didn't want to pay for college for my kids. They can do it themselves. Cool. But you know, I think we all want our kids to have a stronger marriage, have maybe more faith. I, you know, there's a lot of things, but focusing on the money standpoint, if you're sitting there going, just don't know how to help these young kids. I think that could be one of the big things you could help with would be once a year at the beginning of their marriage, pay, you know, take them aside and go, you know what, Billy, I'm paying your mortgage this month. And what I want you to do is I want you to take that payment and I want you to go do something with just you and Mary. You guys go focus on you for a long weekend somewhere. And there's the requirement. You got to do something for you guys. I mean, I just thought of a story while you were talking about this. And I know that they don't listen, so I can bring it up. My cousin um, had her education paid for 100%. She had a trust. We're going to call um, everyone, just by the way, when we give stories, it's always Bob and Mary. So if it's a younger person, it's Billy and Mary. I don't know the younger version of Mary. Okay, fine. I wasn't going to say names anyway. But anyways, so Mary. my cousin, um, she had her whole, she had the fortunate circumstance to have her college paid for and everything. Um, and then her and her husband, um, they dated for quite a while before they got married, but they went and bought the biggest house they could afford. Like literally it's like a five bedroom house in a really nice neighborhood for just the two of them. And, um, 
circumstances happened and her husband ended up losing his job and then couldn't find one for a while. Well, they ended up not hardly being able to make the house payment. So her parents stepped in. So, I mean, that's that's a concrete example of somebody who had their college paid for. I mean, I think even her trust paid for her car, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um and an unfortunate event happened and they didn't have a dual income and they couldn't make the house payment. So a family member, you know, parents being the way that they are, stepped in and started making the house payment on a monthly basis because of the situation that they were in. But of course they could afford it because the bank said they could afford it. So how could they not? Well, because, <laughs> because they didn't take into consideration the fact that one of them may or may not lose their job. All right. And on that note, let's take our last break and we'll be right back. Is financial safety important to you? Of course it is. At Legacy Financial Network, we can provide you information on what retirement vehicles can work for you to attain your retirement dreams. Our team of experts at Legacy Financial Network will discuss options with you to grow your money, lock in gains, and guarantee a lifetime income stream to reach your retirement goals. Check us out at our website at LegacyFinancialNetwork.com or call 616-589-4004. We will send you a complimentary Soar With Safety brochure, which highlights how to ensure your financial safety into retirement. All right, welcome back, everyone. Um, This is Fireproof Your Retirement. Almost done with the show today. I want to thank everyone for joining us again. Um, Truly is a pleasure. Before the break, we talked about student loans. Been talking about student loans all day today. New format, taking real questions and trying to answer them from, you know, I'm going to say, yeah, gender-specific orientation. So we talked about how maybe instead of paying for a child's college, maybe we pay for a house or put extra down on their payments a couple times a year to help accelerate the monthly payment or the um, principal payments. And what's kind of neat if you don't pay for the house and if they have to buy a smaller house is that even when they buy that smaller house and you make these large principal payments, guess what? They still have this lower monthly payment. Whereas when they have no student loans, I'm just telling you, I've seen it this way. If we do all this hard work as mom and dad and we pay off the student loans for them, or they don't have the student loans, guess what happens? They buy a more expensive car. They got the they got the, the um, payment there. And they'll say, well, mom, dad, it's 2% interest. How can I afford not to? They'll get the bigger house. Well, mom, dad, it's 3%. The bank said I could afford it. They must be able to afford it. Argument of that aside, I think we've talked about that enough. The last thing, and this applies whether you're 30, 40, 50, 70. I see this all the time. We need to start focusing on having an emergency fund. We go prior to the 1970s, really 1977 to be exact. 1977, we had the creation of the 401k. And not that 401ks were bad, but I want you to step back for a minute. The 401k in the 1970s, what were we still? We were a manufacturing country. We built big, cool stuff. We weren't healthcare. We weren't IT. We were we're big in the, we're building the biggest, baddest cars that guzzle gas. Ugh, you're going to like it. The 401k was about growth. The 401k invest in the stock market. You had a bunch of blue collar people that no longer had pensions, right? They still had them then, but the companies weren't doing pensions anymore. They're doing the 401k. So how do we get all these people to start putting money in the stock market? I mean, you think back to the 80s. I mean, we know we all know people like this. Did they know the stock market? I was born in 87, so I don't know. But you know what I'm saying here. This <laughs> yes. group of people, they didn't know the stock market. They didn't trust it. They didn't like it. They didn't have anybody in their family who had ever been a part of it. So how do you get that group of people to start investing in the stock market. I'm gonna tell you, it's a promise. It's greed. We use greed as a negative thing. Greed isn't always a negative thing. Do you, Do we really think Henry Ford created the assembly line because he said, wait till you see the good things this is gonna do for the American public. He did it for greed. 401k, we got all these people. 
that all of a sudden now are putting all this money in the stock market. They didn't know it. They didn't like it. They didn't trust it. The way we did it was by showing this 18 and 20, 22% rate of return. We told everybody in the 80s that you will retire a millionaire. It was fun, I'm sure. It, it was exciting. I've seen, I'm going to use this word, propaganda for it. While it may have been fun, it was dangerous. Because if we go prior to the creation of the 401k, people put money in, in savings. Um, and you'd go, the rationalization that I get told about this is people go, well, yeah, Mike, because they used to make interest in savings. So what do we make in a savings account now? Minus a Lake Michigan credit union, we're going to jump through hoops. Like 0.0001. I call that north of squat. Right. Back then, they made 10%, Mike. Yeah, I get it. They did. But they paid 25% on their mortgage. So that $1,000 put away in savings and checking, had that been put up against their mortgage, that would have saved them $250. Now, that generation also canned. We, I, I know your sister cans, right, Mary? She doesn't can fruit, right? Oh, yeah. Nobody <laughs> enjoys canning. No one goes, hey, today's canning day. Can't wait to do it. The reason people used to oh, can... Oh, well, she might. You're ruining my story. But the reason that generation did that, that was another way of saving, wasn't it? Security. They got 30 cans of peaches on the shelves. Who could eat that many peaches? I don't know. But it was there just in case. What if Bob lost his job? We had food. What if you know somebody got sick? We had food, but they also had cash. They had emergency funds. Today, I meet people with 30 uh, or 300, 400,000 in savings and checking. You know what they have in cash? Nothing. You talked about somebody not being able to make their mortgage payment. How much cash did they have? I don't know, but I'm assuming not a lot. None. And I remember when you and I first dating, uh, we'll end on this story. We were what? Going out, I think for, you may not remember this story just yet, but we were going to go out to dinner and I wanted to grab cash and I hopped up on the countertop. I put my hand above one of the cabinets and it wasn't there. And I ended up having to like check two or three spots. And what was I doing? Looking for our envelope of cash. <laughs> I had stored, I was hoarding cash in random spots of the house because I liked cash. And I'm going to tell people, I, I can't take credit for this. Um, you know, a lot of times when we tell stories about ourselves, it's not to say, ooh, look at us, how great, whatever. I, I think we've been very blessed. I really do, I think. And I know that you know, we started on WFUR, which is a religious station. So some of you new listeners, um, maybe maybe unwanted. I, I'm not concerned with that. Um, I really thank God for giving us some of these. And I believe that we've been given some of our successes and certainly some failures um, as divine intervention to teach us so we could teach others. We've been very, very blessed. But I'm going to tell you what right now, the number of times we've been through hard times. We've had times where the businesses didn't make what we thought or where children came maybe unexpectedly. Really unexpectedly. We've never been upset because we had extra cash. Have we ever sat there and gone, you know, look at how much more money this would have made if we had invested it? No. Because it gives you a level of security. It's that same level of security that the canning gave because you know it's there. Now, I think today's real world style of canning is having a big deep, you know, deep freezer, whatever they call that thing, full of meat. We got the same thing. Uh, and I'm just, you know, I'm trying to share with you guys ways to, to change your life about money. And I'm going to tell you what, cash will make your life better. $5,000 is kind of a, a milestone and it will change your life because you get to start paying cash for things. Having food sitting there, no matter what, changes your life. It makes you feel more secure. If these are things, if you're working with an advisor and you're not, you know, all they want to do is talk to you about your investments. Cool. That's what most of our industry does. But if you're 50 years old, isn't there more to life than just your investments? Is that all that's going to dictate the success or failure of your retirement? We talk about rate of return all the time, but is that all that dictates the success or failure of a retirement? Don't taxes play into it? 
What about inflation? What about health care? What about withdrawal rates? How much you take out? These are things that aren't being talked about. I meet people all the time that when I ask them and I look at this financial plan that's not in writing, and I believe a plan's not in writing, it's not even a plan. But I say, well, who determined the amount of money you're going to take out? They go, well, they just asked me kind of how much I wanted. Seriously? The number one indicator of success or failure in a retirement plan is how much money you take out. And they gave that decision up to you. I go, how many times do you retire? They go, well, none. I go, cool. Now we've helped people do it hundreds of times. And you want to leave the most influential factor on the success or failure of your retirement to you. Hmm. If you're not getting the kind of help you need, I encourage you guys, give us a call. Go to one of our workshops. Our workshops are at libraries for a specific reason because it's actually good information. We don't need to feed you to make you feel like you had a good night and because it's non-confrontational. Go on our website, LegacyFinancialNetwork.com. You can sign up there. Or if you like a real person like I do, call our office. Talk to Aaron, Suzanne. We got Rachel. Sydney's there sometimes. Call them. Be like, hey, I want to sign up for one of these workshops I keep hearing them talk about. Call us, 589-4004-616-589-4004. We're local. We're in Holland, Norton Shores, Grand Rapids. We can help. 616-589-4004. Till next week, I am your host, Michael Markey. That'd be you. I'm Vanessa Markey. Not and really a host. I'm a guest. <laughs> you are now a co-host. <laughs> okay. Maybe I should say. And your co-host, Michael Markey, with? Vanessa Markey. Also co-host. And this has been another episode of Fireproof Your Retirement. God bless. This has been Fireproof Your Retirement. For more information, contact Michael J. Markey Jr. of Legacy Financial Network. Call toll-free at 855-LF-NETWORK or online at LegacyFinancialNetwork.com. All matters discussed during the show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation. Mike Markey and Legacy Financial Network are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any government agency.